Lord, we thank you and praise you for the day and for by your grace and mercy we've made it through to thus far. And we thank you, Lord, for your hand upon us. And we thank you, Lord, that you, God, are with us. And Holy Spirit, as we sang in that first song, you are welcome here in this place, Lord, for we can't do anything without you, Lord, that is of note or of worth. Our desire is to bring glory and honor and praise to you, to magnify the kingdom of God. Father, that in our own strength, our, our paltry efforts are unworthy, Lord. But by your grace, you have imparted to us the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would guide our time tonight. Hearts long for you. We thank you for this example given to us in the book of Ecclesiastes, Lord, of how miserable life is without you. May we keep that close to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So beginning back in chapter 7, uh, Dave, well, first of all, Dave Tripp was here last week and shared with, from his heart, and I have yet to listen to it. I'm going to listen to it tomorrow, but the report I heard was that uh, it was a blessing. And so if you were here, that's, uh, we appreciate that. If not, maybe jump online and you can listen to it. Bob, it's up there, right? You guys know all of our sermons are online, right? CalvaryChapelColumbus.com. You can check them out, the teachings, and then there's a tab that would say topicals, and he's probably under that from last Sunday. So he's been following hard after God for 40 plus years. That's, that's pretty awesome. Street preaching, that's not the easiest calling in the world. And uh, I certainly don't envy him. <laughs> he's got it rough. But uh, he's got some great miracles and some great stories, too, of how God has used him and saved him from things, and uh, it's amazing. So, But back, so two weeks ago, back in chapter 7, we started this new section, I guess you would call it, of the book of Ecclesiastes, and really what it is, it's Solomon's philosophy, if you want to call it that. Uh, it's, it's what everybody has to do who rejects God's philosophy for life. They, you eventually have to create your own. And, and so that's what Solomon is attempting to do because he's said, I'm going to set aside the ways of God. I'm going to set aside the things of God. And we're going to look at life just in the phrase he uses time and time again. We're going to hear it a bunch tonight is we're going to look at life under the sun, Meaning, I'm removing God from the equation, and I'm just looking at life if that is though this were all there were. And the conclusion that he comes to, and I'm quite frankly sick of hearing it, is life stinks. And, and that's the conclusion everybody comes to and that rejects God. Eventually, at some point on your road of life, if you have rejected God, you are going to come to a point that just says, what am I even doing here? What's going on? And so this philosophy of life stinks continues through chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10. <laughs> so we got to, because we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we get to go through it. I was trying to think of things I would rather do than teach you chapters 8, 9, and 10 of the book of Ecclesiastes. A thousand paper cuts on my face would be something I would rather do than just go through Ecclesiastes 8, 9, and 10. Shoving ice picks under my fingernails. I think I would prefer 
jumping into a pool of lemon juice with those thousand paper cuts, I think. I, because it's just the same thing over and over. And Solomon, we get it. Why belong the point? But he has a point. And the conclusion, the beautiful conclusion, we don't get to today, unfortunately. We'll save it for next week. And it is a valuable point. And while we're going through it, what we need to remember is, as hard as it is to read, it's valuable for us. And that's why we read chapters 8, 9, and 10 of the book of Ecclesiastes. That's why we go through these things. It's because there is value for us to recognize that life outside of God is absolutely miserable. So let's go. Here we go. Chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretation? Is, has there ever been a better introduction to a message? You're excited to hear this now, aren't you? Right. You're like, I wonder if I can sneak out early. <laughs> All right, we'll start again. Who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. And so he's going to talk about his philosophy. He's going to talk about what wisdom is, and there is value in wisdom. Certainly, we spent the first half of the hour on Sunday morning talking about the difference between godly wisdom and earthly wisdom. Remember in the book of James, it said that wisdom that is of the earth is earth, well, uh, uh, from below is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And that's the wisdom that Solomon's kind of looking at here. Now, what I like about Solomon is he can't even help himself. He's like, I'm putting God aside, but then he brings God back into the equation. Like several times, he's like, I just can't help it. But for now, he's looking at man's wisdom. It says in verse 2, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. In other words, obey what the king would have to say. It reminds me of what we read on Sunday, Romans chapter 13, that as followers of Christ, we have an obligation to live in accordance with the law of the land so long as it doesn't compromise our ultimate authority, which is the word of God. And so keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God, that one of the ways we honor God is by honoring the government over us. Verse 3, do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for whatever the king, whatever he does, for he does whatever he please, pleases him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Right? We don't get the choice of questioning the king. Now, we don't live in a dictatorship, mostly. And so we, you know, we, we don't get to question the king. We, we, we kind of miss that. And you know what? A.W. Tozer talked about that in the book, um, The Knowledge of the Holy. That one of the things that we as American Christians don't have a full grasp or understanding of is what it is to live in a monarchy. And, and we, we kind of lose sight of, you know, that unless he, like in, in Esther, unless he bends the scepter, you don't get to talk. You lose your life if you're, remember Nehemiah, I, I didn't dare be sad in the presence of the king because he knew he would lose his life. You know, that that's, and, and there's a great respect and reverence for the position so that's what Solomon is saying here. Nobody says, what are you doing to the king? Verse 5, he who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. 
And a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. I like that little sentence. A wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. In other words, being wise helps you with tact. Tact is a good thing. We all want to improve in our tact. I know I want to improve in my tact. When to say things, when not to say things, what to say, when to say it. That's what he's saying. A wise man's heart discerns, he understands both time and judgment. When to say something and what to say especially in the presence of the king. Because for every matter, there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. So verse 6 kind of reminds me of chapter 3, right? To everything, turn, 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 right? There is a season, right? Remember all that? So because every matter there is, for every matter, there is a time and judgment. There is a proper time to say things. There's a proper time to remain quiet. There's a proper time for all these things. But then he adds in the little, sweet little ditty, though the misery of man increases greatly. Thanks, Solomon, for the cheer up, you know. <laughs> Imagine this to a song. <laughs> though the misery of man increases greatly. For he does not know what will happen. So who can tell him when it will occur? And that is life under the sun. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Who knows if this very night your life may be required of you. I know that these young guys over here haven't even ever considered that most likely. I know at my at, when I was their age, I didn't. That there's an end to your life. That there's a day coming when we all expire. We have an expiration date. And so we, we, we are wise to consider these things. But it says no one knows what will happen. We can't see around the corner. We don't know what tomorrow is bringing. But the beauty of a relationship with God, if I can bring God into this conversation, the beauty of, the revel- of, of a uh, uh, relationship with God is that He's eternal. He sits outside of time. He sees the beginning from the end, it says. He, he understands it all. And so He knows what's around the corner. He knows what tomorrow brings. And even in His Word... He's given us some inclination. We are to know the times and the seasons, it would say in Matthew 24. We are to know that there are no more major prophecies that need to be fulfilled in order for Christ to return, that He could come tonight. And so we do have an idea of the future given to us by the Eternal One, that is God. But this is life under the sun. He's removing God from the equation. So no one can see what's happening says in verse 8, no one has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, and no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. In other words, we all have an expiration date, and you can't change it. It's coming for all of us. We're not going to get one day more. We're not going to get one day less than what God intends. No one can change it. No one has the power over the Spirit. I can't say I'm going to hang on for one more day. If God says your time is up, you're going. That's the matter of fact when it comes to the day of death. And there is no release from that war. It says in verse 9, All this I have seen, and I've applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. He's he's uncovered every rock. He's looked in every closet. He's experienced everything so that he can... Write these things to us. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. Even in his observation, 
having power isn't always good. He's like, there's a time even when ruling over people, it's, it hurts the person ruling over. It says in verse 10, Then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the places of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had done so. This also is vanity. And so what we see is a picture here in verse 10 of a guy who was wicked, played the holiness bit. I went to church on a regular basis, but I was still wicked in my heart. And he's saying even those, those they, they fall away and nobody is remembering them. The, the lesson is that nobody learns the lesson. It's all vanity. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. That's an interesting verse, and a truth, I believe. Verse 11, the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. In other words, God is going to bring judgment. There is a day coming when judgment will occur by the righteous hand of God. But it wasn't today. And evil still persisted in this world. And we, we see that time and again, and we wonder, how, how is that? How is it that evil isn't ex- the judgment against e- evil isn't executed speedily? And the result is, for those that want to commit evil, they take that as, I can just do whatever I want. There is no account for my actions. Yeah, that's what it says. The sons of men is, is fully set in them to do evil. We can't misunderstand. There is a day of judgment coming. There is a day when each and every one of us will face our Creator. But the the cool thing is, or I guess we can think of it this way, is that God is so long-suffering, even with those who do evil. It wasn't His heart's desire to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember the, the conversation? If there's even 10 righteous men there, you know, Abraham's you know, working out a deal with God. Will you save Sodom and Gomorrah if there's 50 righteous people there? Well, what about 40? What about 35? What a, you know, and God's like, yes, I will relent. His, God's higher desire was to relent, but none could be found. God is long-suffering. God is patient, more patient than I would be if I were God. We kind of talked about that on Sunday. You know, my, result, my reaction to the Supreme Court decision was, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and I got convicted by that. Because what I was saying in that was, you know what, I've got my salvation. Who cares about anybody else? That's just the wrong attitude. If, if God has given us today, it's because he's patient. He, he, he desires that none would perish. He, he's hoping that more would come to repentance. Verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, And his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. There's Solomon. He's like, I'm not going to talk about God. I'm not going to talk about God. I'm not going to talk about God. For 11 verses, he makes it without talking about God. And finally, verse 12, he's like, okay, but I do know that those who fear God, it will go well for them. He brings in that truth. It will be well for those who fear God. Proverbs, right? The, the, the beginning of wisdom is that we would fear the Lord. It goes well for those who fear God, meaning not that we are afraid of God, but that we have a deep reverence for God, a deep respect for God, 
so much so that it impacts the way that we live. He becomes our authority and we defer to him. That's what it is to have a fear of the Lord, to make him our ultimate authority. It's the idea that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what clothes you're going to wear. Don't worry about what tomorrow brings. You can't add an hour to your life, right? We, we heard that in the scripture tonight. How about you just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be taken care of. It will go well for you, is what Solomon is saying, if you fear the Lord. Make him your priority, and everything else will be taken care of. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. You can't change the time you're going to die. You cannot prolong your days, and it will not be well. There is a day of reckoning coming for those who have set their life against the glory and the, and the um, love of God. There is a vanity which occurs on earth, that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked, Again, there are wicked man, men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. We've experienced that, right? That's why do, the, why do bad things happen to good people? That's that question. It just formulated in another way. I've seen it where, you know, the good man has the things that should happen to a wicked man happen to the good man and vice versa. Why is that is the question. And what I think Solomon is trying to say is you can't, you can't formulize life. Life doesn't have a formula that if you do this and this and this, then this will happen. Or if you do this and this and this, remember life under the sun we're talking about here, that if you do evil and evil and evil, then you're going to have an evil judgment on this life. That's not necessarily the case. There are tyrants that have risen to power and lived a very good life. It's just, there's no formula. So I commended enjoyment because man has nothing better under the sun, and there's our phrase, remembering this is looking at life just on this planet as if that was all there was. And there's nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life which God gives him under the sun. He's saying, if under the sun is the best that we have it, then you may as well live it up. And that's where we get the phrase, right? Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die, right? And so you may as well just enjoy life because eventually life is going to be over. If that's all there is, is this planet, you may as well live it up now. What's the point? Here's a, here's a good question. If this is all there is, what's the point in being in church? What's the point in pursuing Christ? Paul would even say it's foolishness if this is all there is. Right? He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for if the dead do not rise, if there is no resurrection, if there is no eternity with God, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then also all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If this is all there is, 
We're wasting our time hanging out in here on Wednesday night. That's where faith comes in. We recognize this is not all there is. There is eternity, and God has created us eternal beings to spend in His presence or to spend eternity separated from Him. The Christian life, us pursuing Christ, I think you recognize this, I hope you all recognize this, is a life of sacrifice. It's us continually denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following after Him. What am I going to do tomorrow? I'm going to get up, I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to take up my cross and follow after Him. What am I going to do the next day? I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to take up my cross, and I'm going to follow Him. That's the Christian life. It is a life of sacrifice. It's us setting aside all of what we wanted in order to pursue the kingdom of God. And it would seem pointless if there were no eternity to live that kind of sacrificial life what Paul is saying. Make sense? You with me? So verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God that a man cannot find out of the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, Yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. This is something for us to consider. Solomon, the word of God would say Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. And Solomon, at the end of his life, when he's learned all of his wisdom, is writing, even I don't know it all. That's what, in essence, what those verses are saying. Though a wise man attempts to know it, at the end of 17, he will not be able to find it. He's saying, there are things that I have yet to uncover. There are things that I don't understand. And if the wisest man doesn't understand it, I ain't got no shot. Because I know I'm a simple man. You know? We're not going to fully understand what God is doing, especially in life underneath the sun. So chapter 9 For I considered all this in my heart so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath, as he who fears an oath. In other words, he's saying all people experience similar things, right? We, we, all of us hunger. We, we, we've all experienced, I am hungry. We all thirst for things. We all we all love and, and we all have drive. We all have desire. Those are all things that is common to man. We all experience those things, whether good or bad. Verse 3, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, They go to the dead. (laughs) 
You cheered up yet? You glad you came tonight? Right? This is exciting and life-building, encouraging. How about this word? There's an evil under the sun. You all die. Everybody dies. That's all eventually will die. But for him who is joined to all the living, there's hope. Listen to this proverb. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. As long as you have life, you have hope. That's what Solomon is saying. Good thing, too. I mean, and that is the truth. If God should grant you tomorrow, even though you yet don't know him, that's another opportunity to know him. God in his grace has extended another day of life to you, but all eventually die. For a living dog, you got to remember in the Jewish culture, dogs were hated. Dogs were not pets in the Jewish culture. They were despised. And he's saying better a living dog than a dead lion. Which would you rather have? Door number one, Simba, dead. Or door number two, the Taco Bell Chihuahua, alive. I'd have to think about that for a minute. <laughs> I'll be sensitive to the Chihuahua owner in the congregation. It's better to be alive. If, if life is all there is, life under the sun is all there is, it's better to be alive than dead. Yeah? Yeah. Now how does Paul differentiate that? Right? To live is Christ. To die is gain. That's the perspective that the gospel brings. Is that while we don't long for death, we do look forward to that day when we're in, in paradise with him. All right, verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. It's depressing. If you'd remove God from the equation and the hope of eternity in his presence, death is the end, is what he's saying. And they know nothing. They have no more reward. We talked about this before. You know, by, by the fourth generation from you, nobody's even going to remember your name. Also, their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. You get one shot at life, and once you're gone, you're gone, is what Solomon is concluding. There is no reincarnation here. We don't play that card. So go eat your bread with joy. Thanks, Solomon. I really want to now that you're building me up so much. And drink your wine with a merry heart. That's a funny statement to me. Drink your... Alcohol is a depressant. Drink your wine with a merry heart. That's like an impossibility. It's, alcohol is not a stimulant. It doesn't make you merry. It makes you depressed. Go drink your wine with a merry heart. At least try. For God has already accepted your works. Listen to this. This is like, this is like throw your head back and party, verse 8, <laughs> in Solomon terminology. Let your garments always be white, and let your head lack no oil. <laughs> He's like, live it up, boys! Let your 
You know, always make sure your head is oiled. I do that every day. And your garments be white. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love. This is an interesting statement by Solomon. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor with which you perform under the sun. Live your life joyfully with the wife whom you love. Which one is that, Solomon? You have 700 of them and 300 concubines. Which is the one that you love? I love them all. Yeah. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. You technology-dependent people, there is no device in the grave. There are no iPhones in the cemetery. I just thought that was interesting that he chose the word device. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your... He's like, just live it up. Whatever, whatever you feel like doing, because that's all that there is. Are you depressed yet? Are you? This I've been fighting this all day. Thousand paper cuts, really. I wasn't joking. How long would that take to heal? Eleven. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the men of understanding, nor favor to the men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. So you thought you were the fast one, you generally don't win the race. You thought you were the strong one, you generally don't win the battle. He's like, it makes no sense. Life makes no sense. Because what you think would be doesn't generally happen. The, the wise doesn't get the bread. The riches don't happen to end up in the men of understanding. Life under the sun just has, it has no formula. It looks like we're victims of fate. That's why I'm so grateful to God. Because we're not victims of fate. We have a good shepherd who, who leads us in who cares for us, who makes sure that we're taken care of. We have a shepherd. Jesus said, I am the door. You know, nothing nothing is going to come into the sheepfold that he doesn't allow. It's not a matter of fate. We're in his hands. That's the beauty of relationship with God. Solomon has removed God from the equation. So, for a man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time, when it all fail, falls suddenly upon them. This wisdom I've also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was, a, there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. And I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard, rather than the shout of a ruler 
of fools. And so he's looking at this example. He's, he's, he's experienced all kinds of things, Solomon has, and he's remembering something. I saw a, a strong king come against a little city, and the, the strong king besieged it. He set snares around it. It, it looked like it would be overtaken very easily, and yet somebody in the city, a poor man who happened to have some wisdom, was able to overcome those, those snares. He he, in his wisdom, defeated the king. This is Solomon recalling a story. So what happens after the king goes away and the city you know, continues living on is, well, the wise man doesn't even get recognized for what happened because he's a poor man. He's not elevated at all. It hardly seems fair, but that's the way of life on this earth. It is often that the shout of a ruler of fools is heard above the wisdom of a poor man. The whisper of a wisdom of poor men. Was that? One more time, verse 17. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. It should be heard, but oftentimes it's not, right? You want something done, what do you do? You be the squeaky wheel, right? Squeaky wheel gets the oil is our is the expression. You want to, you, you're the one that you know you want you want a refund at you know Walmart or whatever. You're the one that you, you go in and complain the loudest, and they're going to take care of you. That's the wisdom of this world. Not comparing Walmart to the ruler of fools, but there it is. Verse eighteen. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys so much good. Wisdom is a good thing to pursue after, but even better than the weapons of war. But one guy can ruin the whole thing. Talking about wisdom, and it's just kind of funny how you remember as Solomon wrote these things, he didn't write, all right, chapter 9, verse 18, I'll end the chapter here and we'll start chapter 10, verse 1. You know, in the next phrase, it's it's almost like if you were just reading from nine to ten, I stopped here intensely. Intentionally, it almost seems like Solomon has ADD or something, it's like, because the next sentence is just crazy. So just read it real quick. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment. It's like he's talking along about wisdom and the battle and these good things and the king and then oh squirrel, you know. There's a, all of a sudden he's like looking. Yeah, have you ever met somebody that's so smart they, they have no common sense? I, I, I think I've shared this before. My grandfather was that way. Incredibly intelligent man, but couldn't boil water, you know? Just to, he didn't know how to make dinner. He'd make the green beans, you know, hours before he would start the roast, that kind of thing. It just no common sense whatsoever because he was so... And when you talk with those people, of which I certainly am not one, it's almost like you need a map to follow what they're talking about. Have you experienced, you guys are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Okay, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm so dumb, I don't follow people. But they're, they're like all over the place. It's just random thoughts being, falling out of people's mouths that are, that's what Solomon's doing here. He's, he's so stinking smart. It's just like, oh, there was this one time and the king and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden he's talking about flies and ointment. Okay, we'll take it though. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment. 
and cause it to give off a foul odor. So it is a little folly to the one respected for wisdom and honor. Now, that's a, a great truth. And I think that's wise whoever made the, 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 the chapter break was probably wise to make it right here. Because it is a, a good truth. Think about that for just a moment. In those days, they didn't have the bottle of, what's a popular perfume today? Chanel number no. 5. There you go. Can you still get Chanel number no. 5? All right. That was, that was the example that Joe Foch used like 20 years ago, so I just wasn't sure if it was still even available. But yeah, all right. So they don't, you don't have a bottle of Chanel number no. 5 anymore, or, or that you didn't in those days. Perfume was not a liquid. Perfume was a solid, a, 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 a balm or a, an ointment of some sort. They would put it in their hair or whatever. So imagine, the way Damien Kyle likened it is, you remember um, Pond's cold, cold Cream? The kings of Pond's Cold Cream? And all the boys are like, what? So, you, you know, you got the lid and you got the stuff and you put it in, I don't know how to use it either, but imagine you went to bed one night and you put the lid on the Pond's Cold Cream and then you woke up the next morning to apply said cold cream and you opened it and there was six dead flies inside of it. Right? Yeah, especially my wife, I know, is she loves bugs, really. They're her favorite. And uh, <laughs> that would be gross. What the heck happened to my cold cream? Right? And that's the idea here. Dead flies putrefy. And, and perfumer's ointment was very costly. So this is a, a great loss. Think about the alabaster jar. It was a year's salary. That's how much it cost Mary Magdalene to buy this, this perfume. A year's salary. Think about spending a year of your salary on one bottle of perfume. And then you wake up the next morning or a different day to find flies in it. You'd have to throw it away. What a waste. Well, the comparative or the, the simile here is that the metaphor is that so is a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. And that's a great warning for, I think, you and I as we follow Christ and one that we can take to heart. It should be the marks of our lives that we are pursuing wisdom and honor. That we, we strive for those things day by day. And the warning is, it's a little folly, you know, so is a little folly to one who is respecting those things, one who is chasing after wisdom and honor. It's, it's as bad as flies in your perfume. There, there's, it's awful when you lend yourself to folly because we should be pursuing wisdom and honor. The Christian life should be one of piety. We, we should desire the holy things. We should have set aside this world long ago when we reckoned ourselves to Christ. We should no longer chase after the pursuits of this world. We shouldn't be tripped up by those things that are foolishness and folly because we're pursuing wisdom and honor. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul warns Timothy, Hey man, as you're pursuing God, stay above reproach. 
Don't do things that are going to make you look foolish. Because six seconds can ruin your reputation for the rest of your life. For us as Christ followers, that should haunt us. For me as a pastor, that scares me to death. To look at some of my brothers that have fallen over the last few years and to know that it's just heartbreaking. We watched Mark Driscoll fall recently, such a, a great communicator of God's word in my opinion. And he's been removed from ministry. Julian Tavijan, just a couple weeks ago. Chasing after the things of this world. Thinking the grass was greener on the other side. And his ministry is ruined. Certainly in our own movement, our brother Bob Coy, you know, of Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, fell a couple years ago. It's just, it's heartbreaking. Six seconds can ruin your ministry. Like flies in the perfume. So set those things aside. We're holy instruments of God. He has called us to a greater purpose. Those instruments in the tabernacle were used solely for the purpose of the, the things of the tabernacle. And you and I are instruments now in His hand. We are the temple of the living God. We have been set apart because Christ is over us. Strive for that wisdom and live for holiness. Pursue living a life of godliness. Set aside the things of this world. You know what? Learn from Solomon. There's no satisfaction in them anyway. It's all vanity of vanities. So set them aside. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, it says in verse 2. But a fool's heart, it is left. Anybody left-handed? Sorry, you're a fool. No, no, that's not what he's saying there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's not at all what he is saying. There. A wise man's heart, heart is at his right hand, meaning he has the, his heart has the place of honor. The right hand was the place of honor. And so... The, the wise man's heart is that you, you guard your heart, you protect it, you give it the place of honor, chasing after the things of God. But the fool's heart is in the place of shame that is to the left. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom and he shows everyone that he's a fool. <laughs> you don't have to wonder if somebody's a fool. Eventually they show you. Fools make themselves known because they have no choice they don't know how not to if the spirit of a ruler rises against you do not leave your post for conciliation pacifies great offenses don't leave your post if, if, if your boss is upset with you because of something that happened at work don't leave your post don't quit your job That's what he's saying here why conciliation pacifies great offenses Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. A godly response, even when you've done something wrong. I'm sorry, I'll make it right. Will you please forgive me? Tact is a good thing.
There's an evil I've seen under the sun as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity while the rich sit in a lowly place. Right? We saw that with Haman. How did Haman come to rule? Right? Haman, Nehemiah, remember the story? He certainly wasn't wise. He certainly wasn't kind. How did he come to rule? This verse. Folly is set in great dignity. It doesn't make sense. There is no formula for life underneath the sun. Well, the rich, the wise, sit in a lowly place. No reason is given to position. You've, had, you've experienced that, right? How come that guy got to be manager? If you've asked that question, that's what he's talking about here. Certainly I would do a better job than him. If you've said that, then this is what this is talking about. I've seen servants on horses while princes walk around like servants. And then this is interesting. He who digs a pit will fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. Joy of joys. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. And he who splits wood may be endangered by it. So Solomon, are you saying, just don't do anything? (laughs) Don't touch that rock. You may be hurt by it. Don't Don't split wood. It could hurt you. You'll get a splinter. Don't break up the hedge. There might be a snake in there. What? There's a story, there's a story, a Calvary Chapel story. Now oh, we're running long, but okay, just a minute. Chuck had a building, and there was a, up above the building, up on the hill, there was a, a stone that was balanced, or it appeared to be balanced precariously. Like it could roll off at any moment, it would roll through their church and absolutely destroy it, right? So Chuck gets the wise idea to dig a hole at the bottom of the hill and then intentionally knock the rock off. And so the rock would roll down the hill, go into the hole, and then they would never have to worry it. Not a bad idea. They spend the time digging the hole. They get it all you know, plowed out, like bulldozer digging a hole. You get this all ready. They go up, they le- you know, do the whole leverage thing, a physics class, and they knock the rock off, but it falls over on its side, rolls down the hill, misses the hole, and goes through the side of the church. <laughs> story. <laughs> he who quarries stones may be hurt by them. <laughs> Probably just better just to leave that alone and leave it up there. So, I, I'm not exactly sure what Solomon is trying to say here. Maybe it's better just to stay at home and eat Cheetos and watch TV. I don't know. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. I have experienced that. When the axe is dull, you got to work your tail off in order to cut the wood. But if you have the right tool for the right job, it goes a whole lot easier. You ever tried to unscrew a flathead screwdriver with a butter knife? <laughs> Just saying. I did garage doors, and you got to have the right tool to wind the spring. Otherwise, you could kill yourself, literally. Paul would tell me a story about a surgeon that tried to wind his torsion spring with screwdrivers. 
And it's good for the first three turns. I mean, it's pretty easy, but you're lifting a 280-pound door. That's the tension on that spring. So you get up into the sixth turn or so, and you've got just screwdrivers in there. I, I guess, what did you say? He cut himself from his wrist to his elbow. Lost six weeks of doing surgeries because he tried to save 200 bucks because he didn't have the right tool. Right tool for the right job. Wisdom brings success. Sometimes it's better just to make a phone call. A serpent may bite when it's not charmed. The babbler is no different. I'll just let you chew on that one for a while. You take that home with you, just tuck it in your back pocket. The word of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. You've talked to a fool, it is, that's about how it goes. But what we can glean from those verses, and at the beginning of verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. And that's the way we want to interact with people. We always, Chuck would say it this way, we always err on the side of grace. Always err on the side of grace. Continually extend grace. Why? Because God has continually extended grace to me. A fool also multiplies words. No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? No one knows everything, but a fool knows all things, is what he's saying. Or so a fool thinks. The laborer of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. That's an interesting statement because Solomon is the third of the kings, right? Saul, David, now Solomon. Israel's going to experience both those things, he says in verse 16. He's gonna, they're going to experience their ch- a king as a child and princes partying when they shouldn't be partying. Almost prophetic. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. No. But uh, that's what you would assume at life under the sun. If you have enough money, then you can take care of everything. Life under the sun. All right, last verse. Do not curse the king, even in your thought. We might need to underline that. Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom. Why? For a bird of the air may carry your voice and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Right? That's where we get the expression. A little bird told me. And even though you whisper it, thinking, you know, uh, how's a secret defined? A secret is something you only tell one person at a time. That's That's a secret. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but don't tell anybody I told you. Don't, don't let anybody know. Just keep this between you and me. How does that go, typically? No birdie told me. Right? Anybody ready for the ice picks under the fingernails? We made it through. I think I need a chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> ice cream, something. 
something to cheer me up. I've been literally. I read this earlier today again, and I was just like, it depresses you when you remove God from the equation. It's it's sad. It's heartbreaking. It leaves you. Bleh. Thankfully, we're going to conclude on a bright spot. Chapters eleven and twelve. Solomon kind of brings us to his conclusion, and he's going to say, "You need God." Well, amen to that. Is life under the sun? No thanks. No thanks. All right, we'll end there tonight. Thank you guys for hanging in there. We'll be handing out free paper cuts at the end of the night. <laughs> let's stand, let's close in prayer. Oh, Lord, help us to learn from Solomon. That we don't have to experience these things ourselves because you were, in your graciousness, kind enough to inspire Solomon to write them down. That we, so many years later, can learn from it. And the conclusion he has made is that life under the sun is not worth living. But as we know, in you there is hope. In you there is peace. In you there is strength for the day. In you there is wisdom. In you there is life eternal. The promise of everlasting life in your presence, O God. In you is the hope of worship, Lord. In you is glory. And there is a day coming, Lord, when all those things that we don't understand, the things that don't make sense on this earth, all will be revealed in your time. Father, we just, you ask us to trust in you. That's the, what belief is. And so I pray that all would believe in you in this room. That all have come to repentance, recognizing that their life is vanity without you. And that all would place their faith in you as, their, as your Savior. Father, we sing, I love you, Lord, to close the service. And I think in light of Solomon's words, we need you and, and we love you, Lord, for rescuing us out of the miry clay and setting our feet on the rock. So we sing in Jesus' name. Amen.